Hello, I'm Dave, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. Today, we bring you the third of three recordings from our Tragic Love live event that took place at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 13th of February. Uh, what we do at Stand Up Tragedy is we stand up and we do tragedy. Our nights are um, themed now, monthly themes, and tonight's theme is Tragic Love. So we're going to have a variety of different kinds of performers getting up on stage and uh, doing something along the lines of Tragic Love. So here's Act 3 of Tragic Love. This is Act 3, and I'm going to start with a song, and then we're going to have some other people. I should say before I play this song, not all my songs are as long as the songs I'm playing tonight. I just happen to have chosen two really long ones. Uh, There is a CD of mine that's over on the bar if you want to take it. I, I, uh, I will give it away for free. That's the kind of guy I am. Okay. So obviously I've been in a relationship for 13 years, so I haven't had much opportunity for tragic love. So I have to invent tragic love stories. And this is a kind of tragic love story that I invented. Uh, It's called Apple Pip. And uh, this is how it goes. Table just burns slowly and 
I spread the ashes of the table across the planet Earth And I wonder at some from our hate can spring a sort of birth Because we were always barren and cold and grey At least that's how I remember it since you went away You do, can I plug, unplug this now, huh? Uh, if, uh, if you do uh, take my CD, uh, it's a, it's a, that is on it, uh, but it's a kind of uh, techno song on there, a little bit more, and more, a bit more shouty. I was doing the long, non-shouty version today, because I didn't want to just, like, traumatise you all uh, to the extreme. Anyway, moving swiftly on, like that song doesn't, uh, let's uh, have our first non-me performer. Uh, this is a previous host of Stand Up Tragedy and uh, a very loved member of the team. You've already kind of seen her on stage tonight because uh, she played a part in George's story. Uh, she does a night called See you Next Thursday, which uh, you can find at www.cunth.co.uk. That's with a H at the end, in case I didn't pronounce it. Uh, quite correctly. The next one is on March the 6th at the Royal George in Soho and she's also just started hosting uh, the Best of Spark London which is a storytelling night at the Canal Cafe Theatre. The next one there is on the 1st, uh, uh, no it's on the 3rd of March. Uh, the night is going to be regularly on the first Monday of every month, that's why I got my numbers mixed up there. Uh, and it's going to have Neil Denny from the Little Adam Atoms podcast as the guest Ah, oh, that was a long-winded introduction, wasn't it? Shall I just carry on for another five minutes? No, I won't. Welcome to the stage, Charlie Harrison! Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. So we've had beautiful poetry, 
and a, a play and a song, and I'm just going to now stand here and chat to you about how shit my love life is. Is that all right? Yeah? <laughs> good, good. Um, so there's loads of tragedy in my love life. Um, so much it's hard to choose. So we'll start with last night. <laughs> last night I did a gig in Kentish Town, um, and I invited a boy that I quite fancy. Um, and I'm just... Is there a... Is that actually on my vagina? <laughs> that is. <laughs> yeah! Okay, I'll stand here. <laughs> yeah, no, so I invite this boy that I quite like at the moment to come see me. And all I wanted for him to do is sort of watch and appreciate what I did, right? And he sat there while I was, I was on the stage for five minutes, just, just talking, just, just talking through my set. I was on there for five minutes. And that's quite heartbreaking, really. So I was outside and I was like, what the fuck were you doing? You know, like, that's so rude, it's so rude. Well, you, I, just, I just felt awful. I felt like he was, you know, I was like, how could you do this? You've been inside me, you know? <laughs> and uh, I said, I felt like you, you, you've been discussing me, you know? And he said, I, I wasn't discussing you. I was like, fuck, that's even worse. <laughs> like, what the fuck were you talking about? Like, the, where, the wallpaper or something. Um, so the moral of that story, that tragic love story, is don't talk during my set. Um, especially if I fancy you and, and to let you know I fancy all of you every single one um, I'll, I'll tell you a bit about myself I work for the BBC Woo, thank you thank you very much that's the big bus company Woo, big bus company we've got some colleagues in stand up and show the uniform that we have to wear this is the dress stand up like so I work with Jess right yes so we work on the buses, we're, we're tour guides on the buses, we're those dweebs that you see going, on your left, Portcullis House, on your right, Big Ben, just slightly to the left is where he first told me he loved me. Straight ahead and to the right is um, where he told me I'd changed. Um, and if you just look through the trees quite carefully, you'll see the STI clinic. Um, that's, that is where I sat in the waiting room crying, um, because I, I knew at that point that I would never use that many free condoms in my entire life. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I was crying because he called me a psycho. That's why I was crying, right? Because I got the text saying that I was a psycho. And I don't know. Let's do a bit of a survey here. I mean, I'm, I'm curious, right? Can, for the girls in the room, can you put your hand up, right, if a boy has ever called you a psycho? <laughs> hey, thanks, babe. Thank you. <laughs> Right, yeah, I did expect more than that. Because what I'm trying to work out, whether I'm actually a psycho, or is it just a thing that boys say when they're brokenhearted? I'm erring on the fact that maybe I'm a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, this, this guy that I wanted to talk about, um, I was a bit worried at first, because I thought, actually, he's a drug dealer, right? He's a drug dealer. And in, in the, this area... Uh, but we're, we're all friends, right? And like, you know, if you, I'm changing his name in a few of the places and we're all friends and you won't say anything, will you? You won't. Because like that could go really badly. Like I could be shot. Um, and that really would be a stand-up tragedy, wouldn't it? I've got the promotion covered. You know. um, so, so this guy, what, what do you guys think is the best thing about going out with a drug dealer? Free drugs, free drugs, he said. That is the layman's answer, okay? The real answer is not free drugs, because that gets tiring. Um, the, the real answer is it's the only occupation where you are cash-rich and time-rich. 
right? So you've got, like, normally you have to choose one, don't you? But, like, he was like a full-time boyfriend. So he used to pick me up from work, and we'd go out for dinner, and then he'd take me to, to work the following day. And then the cycle would repeat, and it was really amazing, because I really hated my job and my life at the time. Um, what do you think the, the, the worst thing about going out with a drug dealer is? Free drugs. Free drugs. <laughs> there you go. Yes, that is a good answer. It is the free drugs. But it's also the fact that at any moment you will know that um, the phone might ring and you might have to move to Spain. Because <laughs> I learned this from some of his mates. He had these really nice mates with these wives and they could have anything they wanted, all these material possessions, but any moment they would have to move to Spain. And I got to thinking, I, don't, I like London, you know? Like, I don't want to move to Spain. Um, so I was laying the groundwork to split up with this guy. And uh, I was at work, and it was all, I sort of had it all planned. And I was going to do it that evening. And I get a phone call. I was working at the Daily Mail at the time. Um, true story. Um, phone rings, and uh, it's Matthew's dad, right? He says, Matthew's been in a serious car crash. He's crashed into the Brixton wreck, and he's in St. Thomas's Hospital. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. This girl used to work at the Daily Mail. <laughs> and go out with a drug dealer. She's obviously a highly ethical individual. <laughs> and you'd be right. Because on my lunch break, I got on my bike, I cycled to St. Thomas's Hospital, where he was, and talk about a tragic meet-the-parents situation, right? I hadn't met his parents until we were there. He was on a drip, like, clothes cut off like that. And they were going, they were going, oh, it's so great to finally meet Matthew's girlfriend. And the internal monologue's going, mm, girlfriend, mm, maybe. <laughs> well, you know, seeing each other, we could say. So there he is. And of course, you know, I have to do the right thing. Because he he's broken his back, his ankles and everything. So I'll do the right thing. I move in to his flat. Because he couldn't walk and he, he needed um, care. So I move in for about three weeks and it was horrendous. We got stoned for three weeks. He was on really strong painkillers got super paranoid about things. And once he was sort of back on the crutches, um, like, I thought, I can do it now, can't I? Because, like, I'm not going to be that girl that splits up with him in the hospital, but I'll be that girl that does it three weeks later. <laughs> and um, so, so I sort of end it. And he, he literally, it was the worst time to do it, because he'd been in his flat for three weeks, and he'd been on these painkillers, he hadn't seen anyone, he was depressed. And he went mental as a consequence, and he said that there were people following me, there will be people following me, and all this sort of stuff happened, and it was horrible, and it was tragic. It's a year later now, and I'm okay, and I don't think I'm being followed, although there might be some people in here, I'm not sure. Um, so I texted him, and I said, oh, do you want to just be friends? It'd be good to go for a drink. This is the text I received back. Here we go. That's a different text. Um, okay. Hi, Charlie. I don't think I've made myself quite clear. This bit's in capitals. Never, ever contact me again. Do not text or call or email. Do not even reply to this text. <laughs> you are a psycho. Okay, so I was sat in this STI clinic waiting room and I did what any girl would do. And I text back saying, Hey babe, um, not sure I quite got the message. What, what is it exactly you want? What, what is it that you're asking? Um, 
could be a bit clearer. So who's the psycho now? It's me. It's definitely, definitely me. Uh, I just, I just want to end on something that's sort of to do with love. Um, it's, it's, it's not really a joke. It's more of an analogy. But um, remember earlier, right? I told you that I fancy every one of you in the room. Well, that's that's true, right? Because for me, um, I think stand-up comedy, being on stage, is like talking to someone you really fancy when you're 15. <laughs> so you hype yourself up for it, and you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go and talk to him. I'm going to go talk to him. It's going to be fine. You do it, and it's all a blur. You leave. And you're like, brilliant, you're euphoric. You've fucking done it. Like, that's so good. Then you spend the next couple of hours just picking it apart. <laughs> You're like, fuck, that bit that I talked about the STI clinic, that was, that was a bit weird. Oh, God, and that manic gesture with a fuck. And you really hate yourself for a little bit. You really hate yourself for a while. And then you just really, really want to do it again. I've been Charlie Harrison. You've been beautiful. Thank you very much. Charlie Harrison, everybody. I think she should call herself Charlie Lucy Harrison because it, it sounds nicer, but she doesn't agree. That's not really a, a part of my comparing. Just saying. Uh, so, uh, I'm a very professional uh, comparer. I'm sure you, you, you'll notice. Uh, so... Uh, our next uh, performer is Paula Varjak. So you can find her at www.paulavarjak.com. But she's also got tomorrow an anti-Valentine's anti-slam. Yeah, I've kind of got that right. Those words are involved in the title. It's at the Hackney Attic. Uh, and uh, it's a, a really excellent show to go to where people will be doing poetry badly, deliberately. Yeah. Uh, and it will be good because it will be against Valentine's Day, which is something I encourage because it means that there's more tables for me on my anniversary. So, uh, so that's happening tomorrow. Five quid, four quid concessions, cheaper than this show. Uh, sorry. Um, and uh, she's also got a show coming up somewhere in this, uh, in this leaflet. Oh, I'm doing real good comparing here. Last page. Last page. Last page. How I Became Myself by Becoming Someone Else on the 22nd and 23rd of February at 7.30 uh, at <laughs> the Chelsea Theatre. Wow, I'm good at reading, I'm not. Uh, so, and that's going to be very well worth checking out. And she also has a CD, Varjakt, which you can purchase from her, I, I would imagine, tonight. Anyway, there we go. Good for the podcast, not for the room. Put your hands together for Paula Varjakt, everybody! Do you know, um, have you ever seen one of those pocket warmers? Yeah, you know what a pocket warmer is? Yeah. You get them in the winter to keep you warm. They fit in your palm. He had a thing about hearts, heart-shaped things. So I made him a box full of heart-shaped things for Valentine's Day, and I spent a whole afternoon over this box. I was writing literary quotes on hearts with postcards with pictures of hearts. And then when I finished, I 
sprinkled confetti, miniature silver hearts all along the outside. When I gave it to him, I watched him open, expectant, and he was mystified. Maybe my gesture is a bit too much. I felt embarrassed, I felt silly, I felt childish, and then he said, thank you, sincerely enough, but even he had to admit, well, maybe you took the heart thing too far. The only thing he liked in the box was a pocket warmer, heart-shaped. Do you know what a pocket warmer is? Have you ever seen one before? Do you know how they work? The first time is magic. There's a little disc in the middle. When you press on it, it sets off a reaction. It literally courses with energy, and then it's warm for hours only. I didn't know when I gave it to him that that only happens once. The next time I saw him, we press on the disc, and nothing happens, because the second time's kind of tricky. The second time takes work. You gotta heat the thing, slowly, in a saucepan of boiling water for hours until it's warm enough to take into the cold. Over the months that passed, I didn't see it, so I kind of forgot about it until it was winter, and then the weather wasn't the only thing that had cooled. I had a gig that evening, and I saw him arrive through frosted glass, and I was talking to the host who was asking me about myself. What do people want to know about me? I am not a good person. Uh, I am from a lot of places, and I hurt people. Um, and I have a CD, and I hurt people who love me. Look, will you excuse me? I go to him. He's wearing his favorite coat. It's silver, and there's a pocket over the chest, and it's warm. And I try to take my hand away, but he keeps it there, opens the pocket, and then hands me a heart-shaped thing, the pocket warmer. He looks into my eyes, and it is heartbreaking. And right then, I even hate the word heartbreaking, because how can a word so painful be so overused, heartbreaking? He asks me, do you have any pockets? And I panic. No, I'm wearing a dress. I'm wearing a dress. Your coat, he says. I have no pockets, I say, with my hands thrust firmly inside them. And I want to scream because I know what will happen. He will give it to me, but later it will cool. And I will look at it in my hand, crumpled into some horrible shape, and think, this is my fault. He gave it to me, and this is what I did. It's all so silly. I mean, it's only a pocket warmer, but he made it romantic or symbolic when romance is dirtier than any four-letter word like love. When I find it again, in my bag now, long since moved from the pocket of my coat, I am outside a train station smoking, and over me this flower bed hangs, and then a droplet of condensation, cold and wet, lands on my face, slides down my cheek, and it resembles what it feels, and it's fitting, you know, because as much as I want to, I'm unable to cry. Do you know, um, have you ever seen one of those pocket warmers? Thanks. Yeah, my name is uh, Paula Varzek, and I am more hopeless than romantic. It's not terribly romantic to say this. What it comes down to is this. You're the closed door that I handle, or the kind of fucked up that I understand.
your particular kind of flirting. Your dreams I keep having, but don't bother interpreting. You're a number that I keep deleting, only I always remember. You're the morning after that comes attached with breakfast and sex, you're well-intended afterwards. You're the one who's always saying, we should just stop. You're, you're that phone call I can't help but pick up. You're an idea that I'm constantly toying with. You're a distraction I'm better off without. You wasted my time, but I have kind of complicated yours. And you make me make me more hopeless and romantic, but what it comes down to is this. You're the kind of fucked up that I understand. You're kryptonite to logic. You make Superman Clark Kent. You make the ordinary extraordinary, and then you take it all away again. You're the one who keeps saying no, only I keep hearing yes. You're deluded by this insane idea that we could ever just hang out and be friends. You're best avoided, and yet you're this idea that I'm constantly toying with. And like that woozy feeling I get when I drink too much, I've overdosed with obsessing over you. You've wasted my time, but then I have complicated yours. And though you make me more hopeless and romantic, well, baby, we're the kind of fucked up, I understand. And now I'm going to tell you a story with a silly title. It is called Space Odyssey to the Bunker with No Buzzer. The first time I walked up to the bunker and saw no buzzer, I entered and thought, this must be world's smallest room. But then, he didn't have much, so there was definitely room for us to move, but it did seem no matter how we passed, well, we kind of kept touching. I mean, it wasn't intentional, most definitely accidental, but arms and shoulders brushed, sized each other up, flirting with, I don't know, more intimate contact. This was a protected space. Scorpion's tails crossed at the gate, and there we spent this full-on full day. And the evening aftermath, I complained that bars in London don't stay open late enough. Bought myself a flask of Jack Daniels at the corner shop as consolation. We came back, and nothing really happened. Well, there was a lot of talking, mainly about relationships, and then we traded notebooks teasing about hieroglyphics, masquerading as handwriting. Nothing happened, but that room was charged with something. Months later, I walk up to that same unmarked Graham Road gray door, and I run up the stairs, enter and think, this is still world's smallest room. But on this day, it amazed how we navigated the space, so there was never any touching. There was barely room for our egos and our alter egos, the lives we lived outside preoccupied by the thoughts of, and there was no talk of bar closing times because I was gone long before. 
lead me to run and catch a bus and then center my mind on space. The space we occupy or the space we choose to share. The space I reveal to total strangers and then hide from those I love and know. The space two flights up from an unmarked gray door. The safe haven for a poet. And the space he fills. The space between our meetings. The space underneath what is said and what lies unspoken, guarded by scorpions, tails crossed at the gate. Thanks. So I once ran away to the circus and I was the tightrope walker. Minutes shifted into hours, daylight, cloaked herself in twilight for a date with her lover, evening. I faced you from afar. We stood statue-like across one another in a room rich with reverb. Our eyes locked shyly, unsure of who would ask you first for a dance. No, maybe just chat a little, mostly about nothing, but then maybe flirting with discussing something of greater relevance or consequence. You were probably too good of a listener. And I was confused that you could care so much about the only thing that I could find to talk about what I felt about someone else who wasn't there and as the ballroom around us expanded everyone else was lost in dancing only dancing and only only you and I were standing still so maybe it would make sense for us to I mean wouldn't harm if our arms linked we were just going along with context it was only dancing we were only talking and we were mainly discussing someone else who wasn't there. By now, twilight had dolled up for morning. We are still dancing and no one else is left. And nothing else is said. As I hear this thud of something falling, something falling, falling through space, the space between us closing, the room around us shrinking, something else is beginning, only someone else is not there, so I'm tightrope walking, tightrope walking, tightrope walking, tightrope walking.
Thanks, guys. I'm going to do... I'm going to do one more piece. There's been so much heartbreak, I think I should end on sex. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm worried because the bass has been so crazy. The bass is going to be, like, nuts on this one, so to maybe just keep, keep, an, keep an eye on it. So I'm Paul Varjek. Varjek is spelled like carjack, but with a V. Um, please take flyers and brochures and things. And this last piece is called I Came All Over in Verse. Yeah, for real. Your hands clasped in my curves. You were a phoenix rising. Just relax into this sin, darling, because there'll be time for heaven later, and I don't know what this is, but I awoke to a new chapter, and the moment it was over, I came all over in verse, tracing tentative fingertips across the wet slickness of your back. Smooth, expansive, drenched in sweat, resonating with the kind of stillness that follows after a storm cloud drifts. Our physical dialogue had come to a close. Our mental gear shifted. Everything slowed. And preparing myself for after-sex awkwardness, I shut down. Click pause on time. This series of sensual words waltzing with my mind. All make-up images I was too half asleep to see properly or maybe just overstimulated. It all became a blur. The moment it was over, I came all over in verse. And yes, I've done it again. Just like Pandora did. And you tried to warn me, didn't you, darling? I know you did. And it wasn't that I wasn't listening. It's just that in a moment, I was beyond all thought. And lying on my nightstand was that box. And you'd locked it, but you didn't realize you left the key lying next to the lock. And everyone knows when she locked that box, the world was lost for a moment. But what most forget is that she left one thing left inside it. Hope. And I'm not even hoping for much. I'm past projecting, defining, overanalyzing. I've finished that chapter. I'm writing a new novel now. And against what everyone will advise, I am writing it without an outline. I used to call Berlin Neverland, but now Wonderland seems more fitting. People do grow up there. It's just we have a different way of being beyond the valley of the disco dolls, the icy grass frozen over in Galitzer Park, the men that watch and walk, waiting for someone buying. I'm evolving by engaging friends, lovers, rivals, this tiny cross-section of this galaxy of dreamers and artists, but how did I start this? Where did this all begin? Oh yes, by relaxing into sin. I'm a direct descendant of Eve, but I don't believe in Eden because a harmless place has no room for passion or hearts that love and hearts that hurt. All I know is the moment it was over, I came all over in verse. Thank you. Yeah, well, they, well, as uh, whilst Liz sets up this uh, this uh, stuff, I will also say, yeah, Paula came. She's done two gigs tonight. She came from another gig, so she's a. Uh, who, who did I say she was like? I've forgotten the Richard. You know the terrible like uh, Phil Collins. Yes, she's like the full, <laughs> Phil Collins at Live Aid uh, coming from around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Phil Collins wrote one good song. That's to be fair, at least at least one, maybe two, one and a half. But you're, you're much better than Phil Collins. Now we're going to... What we end stand-up tragedy with, and this is where we are, is the end, is, is, is with a sing-along. So we're going to give uh, singing along to uh, Diamonds by Rihanna, which is why I began the night with, for people who came late, uh, it might seem out of context, 
But uh, if you were there at the start, it's, uh, it's really, really relevant. All right. Uh, so we're going to actually sing along with Rihanna, because uh, I didn't trust you all to know the song well enough. Uh, so half. Shall we have a bit of that? Okay. Shall we start it from the beginning? Like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. To be happy, you and I, you and I, we're like diamonds in the sky. You're a shooting star, I see a vision of ecstasy. And call me, I'm alive. Diamonds in the sky, knew that we become one right away. Oh, right away. At the side, I felt the energy of sun rays. I saw the light beside your eyes tonight. At night, beautiful like diamonds in the sky. Too wide, so alive. Beautiful like diamonds in the sky. Bright like a diamond. Bright like a diamond. Bright like a diamond. Beautiful like diamonds in the sky. Bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond. Beautiful like diamonds in the sky. See, I was right. You guys. Well, you know, you did well, and I like that. So I'm going to talk over this bit, because I didn't even put the lyrics up for this, because that's how little I trusted in my own decision. But uh, you can find Stand Up Tragedy at standuptragedy.co.uk. We're at Stand Up For Tragedy on Twitter. Uh, we're on Facebook under our name. Uh, friend us on there, because we like to pretend to be a person. Uh, we should all pretend to be people, after all. Uh, we're, we're a podcast, you'll hear uh, what you've heard tonight for your friends to hear as well over the next three weeks and then we have a special which is like lots of interviews and never before special features and stuff like that that's been recorded tonight. Um, our next night and fanzine, as I said, is Tragic Heroes. That's going to be on Friday the 21st of March at the Hackney Attic, which is, strange enough, in Hackney. We're like alternating between Brixton and Hackney, Hackney, so we'll be back here again in April for uh, Tragic Martyrs, which is a very hard, very hard theme to program, I, I can tell you that. Uh, but at Tragic Heroes, we will have the Beta Males, which is a brilliant uh, sketch comedy group. We've got Dan Simpson doing spoken word, MJ Hibbert doing uh, musical kind of comedy musical stuff. Michelle Madsen doing poetry. Samantha Mann, who is uh, awesome. awesome. No, like, awesome. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not even going to give you any more than that. That is, like, Samantha Mann reminds me of my aunt. Uh, and is awesome. Uh, so we've got the Worry Dolls doing some music. we got so much more than that. It's time to go. It's time to go. I'm singing over myself. It's time to go. Thank you everybody for coming. I hope you have a less tragic Valentine than you had tonight. 
tomorrow. It's time to go. Tell people about us. Tell people about us. Word of mouth can fill this room, please.